The concept we're going to be looking at today is limited government. Who's heard that phrase before? Yes. Yeah, limited government. We all, you know, hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> limited government. Um, well, I'm going to show you that this is not just the, the imaginations of anarchists or the uh, daydreamings of insurrection, insurrectionists. Um, this is a biblical principle, limited government. Now, I would also say that we all, everyone, no matter who you are this morning, even if you are listening online, you believe in limited government. You believe in the limitation of the family government, especially dad's authority, right? Um, You believe in the limitation of the church's government, especially those pesky pastors. Who do they think they are meddling in my life? We all believe in limited government. The question is, which governments should be limited? And by what standards should they be limited? Amen? Amen. Our world is engaged in a struggle, in a fight for limiting government. It's just, which government should be limited? And by what standards should they be limited? See what I mean? So this is not a question of whether, but which. This is not a question of some people believe in limited government and other people don't believe in limited government. Everyone believes in limited government. It just depends on which one. Amen? And the Christian believes in the limitation of all governments. The limitation of self-government? The limitation of of you called self-control? Right? You don't get to do whatever you want to do. You are to be limited in your authority, in the scope of your power. And what limits you? What are the restraints that are supposed to be on your life? God's law, as revealed to us in the Bible. You don't get to marry whomever you wish. You don't get to divorce anytime you wish. You don't get to sleep with anyone you wish. You don't get to eat anything you want or snort anything you want. You don't get to dress however you want. You don't get to treat people the way that you want. You see what I mean? You don't get to vote however you want. You don't get to do anything without some level of limitation, restraint on you called self-control, self-government. And that limitation should be from the Word of God in all areas of life, in business, in family, etc. The family government is limited. The power of a dad or the power of a mom over a child or over a household budget is limited by God's Word. How, uh, Blake, how can we learn to be good dads, learn to rule over our family household government well? We have to do what? Got to know the word. That's right. We got to study the word. That's our lamp to our feet and our light to a path to properly governing a household. All right. So we see I got the stage set. Now let's look at in particular how the Bible limits civil government. So we're not talking about church government or family government or self-government. We're talking about civil government. That means the guys with the guns, right? And the badges and the big heads. All right. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Who knows this verse right here? Oh, it's, you know, the theme verse of 2020. They keep leaving the second half of it off, though. Um, Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Total, you know, indiscriminate, absolute submission to Kaiser, Kurias, Caesar Lord. No. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar. Does Caesar have a due that is due him according to scriptures? Yes. But the second half of the verse, the one that we oftentimes 
forget about or simply have no concept of. Not only do we render to Caesar that which is his due, but we are to render to God what is his due. And what is God's due? D-U-E. Everything. So in some ways we could say that which is due Caesar is ultimately due God. And that what is due to God by necessity limitates, limits, I should say, that which is due to Caesar. So this particular passage that Jesus teaches us, render to Caesar that which is due and render to the Lord that which is his due, it means a lot. But one thing it most definitely has to mean is that Caesar is not all powerful. He does not have all authority. He does not have a right to do anything he pleases. He is limited by God. And we should treat him as though he is limited. And if he demands all submission, we say no. See? Uh, We don't even have to say no. We just disregard. Right? (laughs) When someone who has no jurisdiction and no prerogative is commanding you to do things, you don't even have to go out of your way to say no, especially if they have big guns. You just duck your head and disregard. Okay? That's how Solomon tells us to behave under the rule of tyrants in the book of Ecclesiastes. Only a fool shakes his fist at someone with a gun, you know, runs his mouth. You know, you just run along, try to stay under the radar in disregard until you have to stand up and fight. All right. So that's for another class, though. God has established restraints on civil government. Caesar's due is limited by God's due. Amen? All right. Are we in agreement so far? You don't have to agree with me. I think I'm making a fairly good case. Yes, ma'am? Caesar. He is the emperor of Rome. When Jesus lived, when he walked on this earth, the Romans were ruled over by an emperor, you know, Caesar Augustus. He's like um, Pharaoh, or he's like the president of the world. So, <laughs> all right. Christians must engage. Poli- yes, sir? But in today, relativity, it would be. Yes. So when we when we see in the scriptures, you know, verses applying to Caesar, we can apply the principles of those verses to our civil authorities today, to the government. So, yes, sir. Christians must engage politically in accordance with this principle. We must influence for limited government. You are not allowed to be a one ticket voter, a one issue voter. You can't be. It's not possible. All things are connected. Right. Uh, you must defy tyrants who are pro-abortion. Of course, we don't need to know anything else. Evil done. Anathema, pray imprecatory psalms against them. It's over with. Right. However, in your worldview, you must learn to cultivate a, a biblical understanding of everything. And you must fight not only for them not to murder, but also for them not to do anything they're not allowed to do. So what I, see what I'm saying? All right, we must pursue with all of our political leverage everything which accords with limited government. All right, Christians must not cultivate in themselves or in their children a dependence or a faith in the messianic state. Why? Because the state is limited. Christians must work and yearn for government empowered and limited according to God's design. So is this anarchy? What is anarchy? Everybody do whatever, whatever they want. No government. 
No, because the Bible ordains government, civil authorities. Is this libertarianism? No, because libertarianism has no standard by which to evaluate how powerful or how weak a government should be. No, this is a biblical worldview as it pertains to the civil authorities. They are to be empowered according to God's word and restrained according to God's word. That is true of moms, dads, pastors, elders, teachers, business owners. Everyone is to be empowered by God's word and limited, restrained by God's word. This is what we're pursuing. So let's get into this um, bit by bit. What is it that the state is limited by? Okay, um, They're limited by the authority of Christ. I have the wrong slide here. Hold on one second. All right. Begin right here. Limited. Can you all read that tiny little font? Um, limited by the ownership of creation. Now, who owns... Let me give you an example that I use often. Who owns... Your house. Jesus. Jesus. Ultimately. Who thinks they own it? The government. Now how do I know this? Because if you do not pay your taxes, they will take it from you with a gun. And they will feel totally vindicated and justified and all your neighbors will vote a big hearty amen on it. Because your neighbors don't mind you having your house stolen. Right? They feel like they're going to get something out of that. Right? Now, in reality, unless you've paid off your mortgage, the bank owns it, and then the government owns it, right? So you finally get to one day pay off your mortgage, and you think you own your house, and no, indeed. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God owns all things, and everyone who plays God, who has big enough guns, gets to play act for a little while, don't they? But in reality, if our nation were living in submission to King Jesus... We would say all things ultimately belong to Him. He is the creator of all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Every human being and every possession belongs to God. He owns it. And He gives it to whomever He wills. And to whom does He give it? This is a side note. To His heirs. And who are His heirs? They are all those who believe heirs of the covenant promises, children of Abraham, and they receive all that he owns by inheritance, which is everything. And that's that's how you can understand what's happening in human history if you have eyes to see it. 2 Kings 19.15 O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. You see, the Bible constantly connects His... His um, creation with His ownership. He made it. He owns it. It belongs to Him, regardless of what anyone thinks. Limited as well by not only ownership, possession, rightful inheritance, but also limited by the authority of Christ over all things. You all know the difference between inheritance or title and authority. Who has authority in the home? The Father. And above the Father? Christ. And as it pertains to certain aspects, the church and the state are also involved in this um, ecosystem of authority. 
the uh, father has certain authority over the household, and so too does the mother have certain authority. All of that is communicated to us in the scriptures. Who has ownership? Well, God does ultimately, and he passes it down in stewardship to the household if they've paid off their debts, right? right. But authority and ownership are two different categories. You get that, right? John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus is saying to Pontius Pilate, You only have authority over me in this moment because God has granted it. Do you see? Romans 13, 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All authority on earth is derived authority. It is not inherent. So when a dad says to a child, you know, go take out the trash, and the child you know, disrespectfully talks back, why? Now, if you're an experienced parent, you understand that they're not asking for an explanation. <laughs> what they mean is you can you know, go to H-E double hockey sticks. Um, I'm the king of this castle. That's what they mean. All right? It, down in their heart. Although they know they're not supposed to say that, right? But down in their heart, they mean no, you know? And in fact, I'm going to require for you to give me a reason because as it stands now, you look like an idiot even asking me to do such a thing. You must be, how dare you, sir? Right? That's what why means 90% of the time, okay? I've always told my kids, you can ask politely why while you're walking down the street with the trash, right? And then you might get an answer, depending on you know, how I intuit it taking place. You see what I mean? Sounds like you speak teenager. No, I, I speak teenager fluently. Right? <laughs> I taught teenagers for many years. I used to tell them that all the time. I speak fluent teenager. I know, I know what those hand gestures mean. I can interpret all of it. Right? <laughs> That's right. So, but well, the point I'm getting at is when the son says, why? The dad says, because I told you to. Right? Now, what that means, and that's not a bad response. I think it's actually a good response. What he's saying is the reason ultimately is that I have authority over you. I am your authority. However, the dad must make sure when he says that he realizes that his authority is derived and that he only has authority over his son for a set period of time because it has been granted to him by God who has authority. I used to tell my children often that when, when they disobeyed or disrespected, they would have to be spanked. And I would tell them, I'd say, if I don't spank you, then I'm disobedient to my authority. See, it's all about being under authority. You don't want the responsibility of stepping outside of derived authority. You You see what I mean? Every pastor, father, mother, everything you do must be done in submission to God's authority. You don't want the burden of stepping outside of his authority and acting unilaterally. Amen? And when you behave under submission to authority, and you treat your children according to the law of that authority, it instills in them, almost vicariously, through the Spirit, it instills in them a concept of, there is a God, and this family is under Him in all we do. I'm not scared of Dad, because I know Dad is restrained. You know, He has the ability to hurt me, but He is restrained by God, who has the ability to hurt Him. So, you know, you, of course, they would never say it that well, but it's just in, it's instinctively given to a child by a mom and dad who acts 
under submission to true authority. In the same manner, all civil authority is under the authority of Christ. Do you all know when this, when this began? All things have always been under the authority of God. But when, were the, when was the authority of all kingdoms and over all the earth given specifically to Jesus Christ, the God-man? At the ascension is when He took the throne. That's right. And He took the scroll, the title deed of the earth, as the rightful heir. Daniel 4.17 The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Continuing on with authority of Christ, 1 Timothy 6.15 He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many times have you heard that in church? He's the King of kings. But did not think. Does that mean the president has to obey Jesus? Of course it does. You mean only in his public life, right? No. In all of life. Jesus has, there's no domain where Jesus is neutral. Where he's like, hey, you know, do what you want with that part of your life. But over here in this part of your life, you know, I'm the boss. No. Jesus is king over all. Psalm 2.10, Therefore be wise, O kings, be admonished, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord, Yahweh, with fear. And this, I think, is pivotal. And Aaron, I'm going to ask if you would open this up for us. Ephesians 1, 20-22. Ephesians 1, 20-22. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Seated him. One more verse. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Right. So do you see what happened after Jesus Christ accomplished his ministry on earth? He was seated at the right hand of the authority over all what? Do you have the passage there in front of you? Over all kings, rulers, dominions. Those are all different words for the same concept. Jesus is over all the kingdoms, all the dominions, all the realms, all the, you know, the... uh, All the land that all the kings claim to be theirs. Okay, what else does it say, though? He then, God says, he placed all things, all earthly and spiritual authorities under his feet. Right. And then look what it says. Not only did he place all things under Jesus's feet, under his authority, he united the church to Jesus, who is the head. What is that? Where does that put us in the hierarchy of planet earth with Jesus Jesus, seated with authority ruling and reigning with him and all those other things under our feet in Christ this is why a Christ Church Academy is called the Kings (laughs) this is why we should have hope for the church this is why we should engage and this is why we should not cultivate theologies of despair because we have been offered victory in Jesus I know this is a lot. If you haven't been coming to Christ Church for a long time and you don't come to all the different classes, this is a lot to take in. I can see in some of your faces that you, know, you have barely any idea what I'm talking about. Um, 
But that's okay, you know. You, you don't, you don't uh, follow Jesus one day out of 356. You get on the path and you begin to walk that path. And after years and years... That's what I said. <laughs> anyway, forget my point. It doesn't matter. 28, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says to his disciples, All authority has been given to you, or has been given to me, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Christ Church, in light of the fact that all authority has been bestowed to Jesus, the God-man, who will restore rightful dominion to man over the earth, Therefore, in light of that, go, disciple and baptize the nations. And I will be with you until the end of the age. How does Jesus extend his dominion, his authority, his victory? How does he continue to put all things under his feet? Through his bride, the church, his helper, his helpmate in his dominion mandate. As he extends his authority and power over all the earth, it's through the church that Jesus is all over the place, extending his rightful reign and heir over all things. That's why, at the end of the day, Christians' submission with non believers and governments, it's all relativized, it's all strategic. I think this is part and parcel with what Jesus meant when he, when he told Peter, go throw a line in the water, pull the fish out, get the coin, pay the tax. But do we really owe this tax? No. But let's pay it for now, strategically. I think that's what this is all about. Anyway, that's a lot there. Government is also limited by God's law. By God's law. Let's uh, check out Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. Aaron, you're my uh, official reader. And read loud so that the microphones can pick you up. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Okay, let's stop there. Israel wanted a king like the other nations. They were turning to the Messianic state, just like America has. Turning to trust in power, um, in uh, coercion, in legislation, what we call salvation by law, instead of trusting in God's provision. They wanted a king like the other nations so they could turn rocks into bread instead of waiting on God to provide and following his commandments and law. All right, just <laughs> I'm doing this on purpose. I want you to get the concept. But, and God allowed it. Okay, they were in rebellion. We know this from the passage. But then he begins to lay out the restraints on the civil leader that they're going to choose. He may not acquire a bunch of horses. Which simply means he may not continue to uh, load up his war chests and stockpile his, um, his money and, uh, and, and become super, super wealthy and powerful. Horses were wealth. Horses were weapons. And God's saying, you can have a king. Okay, he is to restrain. He is to limit himself. Not to uh, constantly tax the people and increase in wealth and in power. You see, because it, victory and salvation doesn't come through power. It doesn't come through coercion. It doesn't come from top down. It doesn't come from law. It comes by God's grace. 
through hearts that believe. Not through horses or chariots or the will of man, but by the Spirit of God. What else was the king not allowed to do? So, uh, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. That means taking out massive debt in order to get the horses needed to go to war against other nations and take their stuff. You were once slaves in Egypt. You're not going to be slaves again. Don't acquire massive national debt so that you can stockpile your war chests. This is not the way. Continue. Oh, we, we could do this all day. Wait, what? Somebody behind me said, uh-oh. <laughs> and he shall not acquire many wives for himself. That's political alliances with other nations that don't trust in God, turning rather to salvation by policy rather than salvation by grace. Once again, Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And in it shall be with him, no, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. He was to be limited by the law of God, which he was to have his own personal copy in which he was to meditate upon day and night to restrain himself, to control himself. God was establishing a constitutional monarchy. A monarchy whereby there was a king who was limited and restrained, and he was not only limited by God's creation ownership of all things, but by authority of Christ and by the constitution of God's law over the land. Now, we know from this particular episode that Samuel dictated to the king a bunch of other things to write. We don't have all their whole constitution. And we know that that constitution was, was, was written out and kept in a very special place alongside the king so that when the king ruled, he would be limited by God's word. And God promises that's the way forward. That's the way to blessing. That's the way to flourishing. That's the way to live long in the land. The idea of a constitution comes from the Bible. The idea of limited government comes from Jesus. It, it, and, and Christians who are not raised with a biblical worldview, they don't have a Christian education, or they don't have an education at all. They are raised in this world, which completely believes in the Messianic state. And so that's why even Christians um, give over their hearts and their children and their trust and their faith to overweening Messianic government, because they don't have a biblical worldview. They might know a verse here or there, but they don't understand how Christ rules over the world. They don't know enough about the Bible to put these things together. So they come out saying, well, I know abortion is wrong. Abortion's wrong. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same team. But everything is wrong. Nothing is right when you are talking about a government that believes itself to be God. Nothing is right. The only time they say things that seem right are just delusions. They're just forms of deception and manipulating simple people. What did um, John Lennon say? He, imagined, he said, imagine, you know, nothing above us but sky. 
That's what our government thinks. They think above them there's nothing but sky. And they couldn't be further from the truth. And the judgment on our nation is evidence that Jesus still rules the nations with not a feather duster, but a rod of iron. Yes? But does that passage in Deuteronomy apply? Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Of course, many Christians would say, no, God's law doesn't apply to the civil sphere. Where would they turn to govern the civil sphere? I'm still waiting on an answer to that one. Yes, Aaron, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon Him? You can see that the law was given to Israel in part to be an attraction to the other nations. That they would see, wow, what other nation around here has a God like this, has wisdom like this, has law like this? And we know from history that the other nations were influenced by by the Bible and by the Jews. More so than I think we even realize. But you can see there that the law given to the Jews was meant as well to be copied by the pagan nations. It was wise. It was good. And I do believe the United States as well in the past, and especially all the churches, all the nations of the West, have looked to the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, to help them form their civil government. King Alfred, who formed one of the first governments in, in uh, Anglo-Saxon worlds, with every one of his laws, he had right next to it a Bible verse in parentheses where he'd get these concepts. There's a reason why our, our Supreme Court has a Ten Commandments on the wall. Because we understand the foundations of, our, of law and of justice are God's Word. You see? Now that doesn't mean the Bible says everything about everything. Even the constitution that Samuel gave to Saul had other things in it that were more applicable to his day and age. But all of it is built upon the foundation of God's truth and God's law, which includes, among many things, limited government, restrained by God's ownership, God's authority, and God's law. What happens when Israel turns to the Messianic state? Give us a king like the other nations. We want other people's money. And we want chariots and horses to get it. What happens to them? God tells him, he says, he's going to enslave your daughters and your sons. You all know this. He's going to tax you over 10%. Slavery. God says all these things are going to happen to you. And that's exactly what happens. We don't have to read it. But the entire nation is thrown into slavery. Whatever you begin to trust in for your salvation becomes your God. And if he's not good God... You become a slave. All right, there's more to say about that, but I want to get to our summary before we're done for today. A government claiming unlimited authority. Y'all know any like that? Is a government that must be granted limited obedience. This is why the disciples all went to prison. Okay, let's not forget that Paul, who wrote Romans 13, obey the authorities put over you, also went to prison and was executed for not doing that. So whatever we make of Romans 13, and this is not a class on Romans 13, it all must be interpreted in light of God's overarching revelation in Scripture. 
And it's not hard to understand. You obey your government if you can, but not when they are wicked and against God. This is why the disciples all went to prison. They had a duty to disobey wicked laws and wicked rulers. And we too have a duty to engage in the political process with the goal of limiting government overreach by God and His Word. If we engage politically or develop opinions over political issues without considering God's ordained limitations on government, our engagement and opinions will be false and dangerous. We must consider jurisdiction and prerogative. We must ask not what can the government do, but what should the government do and not do according to God's word. Amen. This is, uh, this is my, um, what's the word, my anthem, right? <laughs> Hold this in your heart in the, for the next four-year cycle, please, for the love of all that is good in this world. Try to get these concepts into your minds before 2024, right? Right, Nick? I mean, this, we've got to get this stuff under control here. Why has our government grown so large and intrusive? Are we but mere victims? We're not victims. Tyrannical government begins in the hearts of people who are tyrannized by sin and Satan. God promises is, is if He sets you free, He will set you free indeed. If He frees you in the heart, He also promises to free you in life as well. It won't be automatic, but it will be in due time and according to His season. Amen? If you're enslaved to debt, right, financial debt because you've worshipped Visa your whole life and Visa always promised you the ability to turn stones into bread and grant you instant gratification and you were just like magic, magic. And now you're a slave to it. You're a bond slave to the corporate, to the man. When you follow Jesus and you're liberated in your heart from the tyranny of covetousness and materialism, and you're granted the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, it not only frees you from the debt of sin, but it frees you from the debt to Visa as well. In due time. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for sins that extend even past you being saved, right? Sanctification takes time. And even if you go the rest of your life suffering for the consequences of your sin, your children don't have to. Because God is gracious to your lineage as well. He promises salvation and victory for all of life. So taking that concept in hand, (coughs) why has our government grown so large and intrusive? Because our people lack self-government. Because our people don't trust in Jesus Christ and in His timing and in His law. We've instead turned to guns, to law, to policy, to bring us salvation, equity, justice, etc. These things cannot be produced by law or by gun, but only by the Spirit of God. Because other governments, the family, the self, and the church, have abdicated their responsibilities and handed them over to the civil authority. You know that's right. Because other governments have begun to trust in power instead of God. This is why. So the only way forward is what? At the voting booth? No. The way forward begins in the heart. It has to begin there. Or else the voting booth does nothing. Guns do nothing. Legislation does nothing. Getting the right man in office does nothing if the hearts of America are not free from tyranny. So before fighting for limited government, 
We must first repent of trusting in government, civil government, to provide through power what God longs to give through grace. Only a people freed from the tyrants of the heart will be freed from the tyrants of the state. So, what does the church need to do in light of this? Repent. Amen. Repent of trusting in the messianic state. <coughs> Take your children back. That would be a good start. Right? right? Get your hands out of the cookie jar. Stop asking the government to save you with financial blessings from heaven. Right? Turn to God and God alone. And follow the way He says to pursue victory and provision. If Until we do that, we can forget it. Right? There's only one power to change this nation. It's called the power of the gospel unto salvation. And that power flows only as the gospel is preached. It has to begin there. Or else none of these other things will take place. Amen. Alright, y'all have a great Lord's Day.